Hi. <laughs> now that the sound test is over, uh, welcome to the Retro Breakdown. Sorry we missed last week. Tom and I were both out of, well, away from home. I was out of the country. And uh, and you were with me. Yay. Um, yeah, we had some time off. Like, we're taking, we're taking some time. So Jessie's joining me this week to talk about her somewhat recently finished playthrough of Dark Souls 2. Now, this playthrough took like six months. <laughs> and Sorry about that. <laughs> we spent like several chunks of like a month or two months like away from it. So it's not exactly fresh in either of our minds, but we've tried to refresh it a bit and just kind of remember what we went through by just watching some of the recordings back. And I mean, I feel like we have some memory of it, but I mean, we don't have to recount things specifically. I mostly just want to, well, first of all, how's your week, love? Uh, this week or last week? <laughs> How was Germany? Germany was great. Very fun and productive trip, business and pleasure. I kind of joked about how I was just going to go there and eat like a bunch of sausage because I didn't really know what else like German food was known for. And I mean, we did eat more than that, but I did eat a lot of sausage <laughs> between the curry worst and the and the the actual like legitimate bratwurst that we got on the last day. Mm -hmm. It was all very good. Well, we ate a lot of Italian food, too. I, we just like the one time. We had pasta and pizza. But, oh, that's true. I mean, true. like, looking around when you're there, it's... The first thing we noticed when we pulled into the train station in Frankfurt was just how incredibly diverse the people transiting in and out of that station were. Yeah. And I read somewhere like the week or two before we ended up going there that Germany is the most connected country with public transit between mm -hmm. rail and trams and buses buses um, is the most connected country in the world um, like the whole country has has been evo has evolved to really incorporate walking trails and public transit as like a primary mode of transportation and I think that is a really appealing to a lot of people and so we got off the train from the airport into to Frankfurt the main terminal there and it's always daunting when you go to a new place that has public transit, especially... Because you got to figure out the routes. Even even thinking of going to a place domestically in the U.S., like to New York or Chicago or even Seattle or uh, you know, Atlanta, they all have their own smaller rail systems, but Germany was... Atlanta doesn't really have public transit. They pretend they do, but I'm pretty sure all of their buses just, like, lead to... Well, they have the MARTA. Yeah, I know. It's, it's like the worst, it's like the worst man's mass you, transit system. Have you ridden the L? <laughs> the L at least like goes places. Well, having just been in New York, hanging out with TKNM, uh, well, T and K of TKNM. Yeah. A couple weeks in a row and riding the trains in New York and then going to Germany. Yeah, Germany's got some good trains. Yeah. We like trains. I wouldn't say that we're like train aficionados or anything like that. But. I'm not going to play like train simulator. <laughs> but if I'm in a place and my options are like, oh, you can rent a car or you can take the bus or you could take an Uber or there's a train. I'm going to be like, I don't care if I have to walk like 15 extra minutes. Put me on the train. Yeah. 
And what was so weird about the trains in Frankfurt is it was really... Is how we kept buying tickets and then no one would check them? Well, that. Uh, the first day we got a ticket at the airport to go on the airport line to Frankfurt. And we paid the fee and we weren't sure if we did it right. And then the, the first thing that happened when we got on the train was a person, like a police officer came and checked our ticket. And I was like, oh man, they're really serious about this. And then literally the whole week... We got on a train and nobody checked nothing, even though we bought the tickets for like the day pass. It was like five fifty euro. Yeah. Um six or seven dollars, you know, for the ticket. And we bought it to because you're expected to buy it and they set the precedent of like, oh, you're you're here in the country, check the tickets. Yeah. <laughs> and then they never checked it again. Um, but it wasn't so expensive that I would have like chanced it. I wonder though, like, if you think about it. We were on those trains for like a maximum of like That's three or four saying. stops. At I a was time. shocked. Like, okay, they're in the downtown like square area. There's an opera house, and the exit is called Alter Opera. And so you get on the train line, and a bunch of the different rail lines go into that station. And you get off there, and you kind of like walk. And I wouldn't say we walked more than two blocks, and we were in a different station. Yeah. And I think. The grand thing that I've noticed was there were stations everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it was, mu they were much more, much closer together than in Korea or in Japan from my memory. Like, I, it's where Inner Tokyo probably has a station every couple blocks. But, yeah. but like overall, the train stations were really close together. Yeah. And really accessible. The using the train ticketing was confusing. Um, but there are a couple English, well, you know, language walkthroughs online. You just Google it and they yeah. kind of explain to you what kind of pass you should be buying. Well, and it also becomes much easier when you realize that there is just a, a, a day pass of like hop on and off the train as many times as you want. Just have this, just have this ticket with you. Yeah. So instead of having a, instead of having to buy a ticket for every single trip, you buy one ticket and then you just hop on whatever train you want, like within town. Yeah. Which is really nice. There's not turnstiles. There's not, like, any sort of automated ticket checking system. So, like, realistically, you could just walk down and get on the train and chance it. But. Well, I noticed that in New York. Maybe because we lived in Korea and, and have traveled a lot in Japan. Noticing where you have to scan the card to get into the, to the station to actually board the train. In New York, in the metro, they have that where you, you know, pay with your card or whatever but in the like greater new york area trains there's nothing there's no mm -hmm. gates you just get on the train and then you either had bought the ticket prior to getting there or you buy it on the app and then they come through a person comes through and then like checks that you paid it, yeah and i just feel like it's really inefficient it's super inefficient but you know but it's also like the whole thing's basically just built on the honor system yeah so it's more, it was much more prevalent in Germany, and I feel like Germany views public transportation as not a sunken cost, but like an, a public good. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of countries, when they breach that point of saying the trains are necessary to public life, and the government is paying for this regardless, and it's not like, oh, we're not making enough money off of tickets. Well, it's a public service. Like trash yeah. collection, like, you it's know. It's not. It's, the, it's like whenever people in the U.S. start to discuss public transit, it's always like, well, it costs this or it's, yeah, it's, losing, it's losing money. It's not making its money back. They the same thing back. with the it's postal like, service. Yeah. And it's, it's like, okay, but. It, it's not losing money. It's costing money. It's a public service that we have because yeah. it makes our society better. 
Like the complete disconnect. It's it's a it's something that we're putting money towards to like improve lives. Like it doesn't have to make its money back. I don't care if it makes its money back. So it's not supposed to. We uh That being said, the postal service did actually turn like a profit for a while, but that was pre internet, so mm. you know. I don't know. I feel like we could have spent more time and really done more. It was kind of limited last... because I, I had work stuff to do for, yeah. for a couple of those days. But... Well, and I didn't really get over jet lag, honestly, <laughs> the really... entire time we were I there. I honestly feel that the six-hour time difference is harder for my body to overcome than the four, 13, 14 hour from Asia because I just literally couldn't. I, I could I even after we got back, even still this week, I'm waking up at seven o'clock every day. And I'm I know. like, I don't I know that sounds weird because most people are like, well, that's not weird. Seven people get up at seven o'clock all the yeah, time. Well, we don't do that. We don't do that. We sleep until nine or ten and then we stay up until two or three. So um anyway, so my body is still like, Hey, it's seven thirty, why aren't you awake? So I've been hitting the gym this week. Yeah. <laughs> like really, really active. I did four days of weight training and doing my miles running and maybe germany's jet lag has helped me realize my fitness goals <laughs> it kind of helped me because i got there and realized that all of the clothes that we bought for korea i didn't fit into anymore <laughs> so i was like okay we should probably get a handle did you on talk this, about um our little excursion last day before we left and how we found a little flea market no but i haven't uh i i don't I don't want T and K to hear this until I figure out how to get it working. Okay. So it's still... I did mention it on a recent stream, but they weren't on that stream, so... Don't go back and watch that VOD. They don't know which one it is, so... <laughs> well, that was really... We had a really nice time, and I'm I'm glad we went. Yeah, um, that last day when we were walking around and we actually got a couple of meals out and and saw some stuff and oh had Oh, man, a, we had a burger. We had a burger. Like, we bought some stuff, like, that, like, I wish we'd had more days like that, because that day was really fun, but that was the day before we left, mm. and it was honestly the first day where I felt like I could stay awake all day. And honestly, we didn't check any bags, because it's, it's just so much of a hassle to check a bag when you're traveling overseas, but we were really crammed on our suitcases on the way back. We could have fit some more stuff in our backpacks, but, like... At the end of the day, we um, really overpacked for uh, for Korea, and it was a hassle. It was so, also eye opening. <laughs> so we tried to do the opposite of that, and honestly, I preferred it. Like yeah. it had some disadvantages, but you know, in this case, honestly, like when we were in Korea last year, we overpacked and had to drag our bags around to like three or four different places. And that was terrible. Here, we at least got to stay in one place the whole time. Mm -hmm. So we didn't even have to, to wheel our bags around. But even if we had, even if when we did have to, it wasn't that big a deal. Um, I vastly prefer that. Also, if you fly Delta, and this is probably true for like United Airlines and maybe American as well. On a longer, a long haul international or even domestic flight that's long haul from like East Coast to West Coast. If you can pay for Comfort Plus. 
boy. On those long haul flights, do it. If you can afford it or if you have mileage to upgrade, my goodness. When we went to Korea, we did Premium Select on the way there and Comfort Plus on the way back. And we liked Comfort Plus better than Premium Select, even though it was a higher upgrade. Yeah, like I would say like Premium Select is what is colloquially known as like business class Mm -hmm. for Delta. Like it's not quite first class, but it's pretty swanky. Mm -hmm. Um, It was fine. But, like, one of the big things it gives you is, like, oh, you can have this little footrest. And it's like, I hated that footrest. Well, the worst part is your... It made it worse. Your seat, um, you know how your tray table comes down in front of you? On most, like, main cabin seats, you have the tray table and it flops down in front of you. Well, on Premium Select, they store the tray table in the side of your seat. And so you have, like, a restricted space Mm -hmm. in which you're able to sit. And, well, if you've seen me, I've got pretty large hips. And it was just not comfortable. Whereas in premium or in Comfort Plus, you don't have that partition separating you. And though you lose the footrest, you still have the wider seat and the more legroom, which is really important for for you because you're a bit taller. Mm-hmm. And it just really makes a huge difference. And yeah, just yeah. that couple of extra inches of legroom makes like all the. I still can't sleep on a flight, but I at least don't feel I like. In just regular economy, I feel like I get off of a a long flight like that, and I have to, like, stretch my body back out like I've been contorted into a box yeah. for eight hours. And I still cannot sleep on these long flights. I either get way too hot in my seat because I'm crammed next to somebody in Maine, or I'm just dry and just, ugh. So I can't, I have a hard time sleeping sitting up in general. Yeah. But, like, on a flight where, like, the conditions aren't comfortable and there's, like, the the droning jet noise right outside, you're right outside. Like, it just, it doesn't work for me. Yeah. So. Anyway, so that happened and it was fine. Yeah. I would go back. I'm, uh, Probably will at some point. Yeah. I've got a bunch more travel happening this year. Um, so I'm tired. <laughs> if you're, uh, if you're listening to this right now... On the day of release, uh, we probably just did, we, not not including you, mm-hmm. but um, you may have missed our first session of uh, Dokapon Kingdom Connect, starring me, Tom, Okami of Games, and Ellipsis Break. Uh, we're planning on making that a mostly weekly series. Uh, we're thinking we'll m- probably be doing it. On Monday, I'm being cagey about that because life is going to happen. We're going to have to move some days and cancel some days. I already know of one day that I'm there, one entire entire week that I won't be here and I won't be able to do a session. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, Mondays at seven Eastern on uh, Twitch.tv slash Timewander, and I think also twitch.tv slash Okami of Games. I think Okami's going to stream it as well. Nice. Um, we're going to be playing Dokapon. Dokapon Kingdom Connect, the uh, online enabled port for Dokapon Kingdom came out last month. And I've been talking about playing it, but I wanted to wait until A, um, I was done with... What was I playing before Disco Elysium? What was the long game that I wanted to finish? Was it Ishin? I mean, you did finish Ishin. That was a while ago. 
I don't even remember what I was playing. It was only a couple weeks ago. Anyway, I had a big long game that I wanted to that I wanted to make sure I got finished, and I did, and it felt nice. And ever since then, I've been like, all right, it's time to it's time to prep for Dokapon. So I finally got the finally got the gang together, and we're gonna be doing that on Mondays most of the time, for as long as it takes. Are we gonna do a blood pool? I don't, I mean, we can. I don't know that we can ask people to, like, put money towards it. Blood pool for charity? I don't think we need any additional help to, uh, I, like, I'm turning on, I'm turning off all the limiters. I usually try to go into any multiplayer experience where I'm like, okay, well, let's be nice. Let's not, you know, let's not be too harsh. Let's try to make sure everyone has a good time, right? I maximum sportsmanship. I will, you know, kind of take it easy and let people kind of get their bearings. This game isn't fun if you try to play fair. That's why I'm not playing. <laughs> like this, this game is about just being maximum mean. And I just want to make sure that that is known and accepted by everyone up front. Like scumbag tactics and just 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 mean unpleasant stealing cheating like that's that's what the game is for screw each other over over and over and over for like 50 hours erase progress i'm excited it's gonna be fun i hope we're all still friends (laughs) when it's over if you don't know what the game is, definitely tune in and watch if you can. Um, obviously, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, you may have missed the first episode. But definitely go back and watch the VOD or catch the episodes. I'm sure you'll put it up on YouTube. Definitely putting it up on um, YouTube. It's wild. It's, it is Mario Party, but so much ruder. It's Mario Party, but also like a, a you know, a 40-hour RPG Right. That four people are playing at the same time competitively against one another. And also Monopoly. Yep. So it's gonna be it's gonna be really fun, so definitely watch that. And and, and I've, still I've doing... never played it with people. Mm-hmm. I've only Did ever you put your last playthrough against the three NPCs or the computer players on YouTube though? Yes. So that was a fun run if you are interested. Um he did that, I don't know. That was years ago. Three years ago, maybe. If not longer than that. Yeah, it may have been 2019. It's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a very long time. But it'll give you an idea of what to expect. And I don't know many people who are doing this, even though the game came out. Uh, it's kind of niche. and If it's not niche, I'm not playing it. I just I suppose it's true. It's... Speaking of niche not playing it, you're you're still going through Disco Elysium. Or in a punch- That's not niche. That won the Game Award for Best I mean, Narrative. What I'm saying is, what it's... are what are you going to play once you finish Disco Elysium. Oh, I don't know. Probably Pocket Mirror. And how long is that? I don't know. Um, <laughs> What's coming out that are you're interested I, I in? I honestly really want to play Street Fighter Six. It looks so good. And, you know, I am also still, to this day, sitting on two vouchers for uh, first-party Nintendo games that I could Probably going to go whenever. with uh, Advance Wars and... After seeing all of the footage of, of Tears of the Kingdom and all the crazy things you could build. The, which Tears doesn't, of the Kingdom, it's not appealing to you, yeah, I know. it's so weird to me because I look at it and I'm like, that's so cool. 
And then I really think about it. And it's like, I don't want to do that. I feel like I should want to do that. It like every it's making everything in me feel like that's cool. I want to do that, but I don't actually. There's a there's an RGG announcement coming. Oh yeah, I heard about that. Sometime in the next So week you're or probably going to get the release date for 8 or Gaiden. Gaiden Gaiden's this fall. I think they said like August or something like that. So that I don't know if it was confirmed. It said 2023, so it's definitely coming this year, but... Um, unless it's not. Unless they delayed it, yeah. So that'll be an interesting... I think that's coming next week, or like the 13th or something. Mm. And they've just done a bunch of casting for the for the hostess girls that are going to be in... Well, they did the one. Eight. They had a whole, they had a whole like, well, competition. Oh, yeah. So they were selecting for eight this time, but that's going to be exciting. And then... Uh, obviously 16's coming out in like two weeks, FF16. <laughs> I like that being a hostess in, in a, in a, like a dragon game is now like a big thing where they can like pull in a bunch of people to yeah. do cameos instead of like the actual Yakuza working at Sega being like, Hey, pull in some girls from your porn studio, <laughs> which is literally all it was for like the first seven games. Yeah. So you've seen information about Final Fantasy 16 and how not enough people own PS5s. I I hope I hope 16 is good. It looks like it's going to be I think Square Enix is playing the long haul on this knowing that a lot of, not a lot of people have the game, but if it's good enough and the press is good enough for the release, that people will be like, "Hey man, get me get me a PS5 so I can play this game because it looks dope." I don't think they care about it being a console mover. They don't I mean, PlayStation certainly does. PlayStation does, but like Sony. That's doesn't the whole own reason them they negotiated. Yet. I don't know. Like realistically, I'm not entirely certain that Square Enix knows what they're doing. Yeah. I think that um, who is it? Creative Business Division Three. I think the you know the team Yoshida and the team behind uh, 14 seem to be the only fully competent group left. Under that umbrella for like the the main I mean, Team Asano does good stuff. But like the problem is that I don't feel like that's what you finished recently. Octopath. Yeah, I did finish Octopath. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like Octopath had enough marketing. No, it didn't. I am. I'm not working with this part of Square Enix anymore. So like that doesn't that's not like a <laughs> it's not speaking directly to my experience, but. I don't know. It's just it's very confusing. I, I I don't understand what the like there's good stuff coming out of Square Enix, but like I don't know what they're intending to do with a lot of it. Like it seems it seems like they can't really get things together to put like a really strong marketing push behind any one thing. Now, what they have done is put out a lot of kind of cool things. And they've really, like, flooded the zone with kind of mid-tier stuff. They put out, like, Harvestella, which was, like, pretty good, not great. They put out the, um... What was the recent AAA game? Oh, Forspoken. Yeah. Which... Well, and then that's uh, getting a DLC, which seems kind of... It had to have been really far along in the in the process. Yeah. For them to just say, hey, we're... Because it didn't sell well, and it got kind of blasted in reviews, but... I think some people like it. It doesn't seem like it's bad. 
And that's just, that's the thing. Like, it doesn't seem like any of their recent output has been specifically bad. It's just nothing's really blown the doors off. And unfortunately, the company has a reputation for, you know, putting out stuff that really blows you away. And it just, I think well, there's and a, I, think I feel there's like a, their fans are so hypercritical too. That's Even looking at, at a post that they post about like even, you know, something that they don't, pers- they don't specifically make. And if you go through the comments, it's like, remaster this game. And why are you just putting, why yeah. are you publishing this? This is there's trash. A, there's like, there's a lot of Square Enix, quote unquote, fans who want to hear about one thing and one thing alone. And Chrono Trigger remake. Anything <laughs> that they, anything that they mention for a second that isn't that one thing is automatically garbage. Yeah. I feel like that's a gaming community in a nutshell. It though. really is. Which is why you stay away from those people. And true. play the things you want to play and enjoy the things you want to enjoy. And, and not... don't let other people or review scores tell you that you... If you want to hate play... Stuff is trash. Largo Winch for the PS1. Because your friend's like, hey, I got this game in a cardboard box in the street. And you should play it. And it's terrible, but you enjoy the process of playing it because you can laugh about it. Then why... Who are they to say that your experience is... Enjoy that shit and <laughs> force your co- your podcast co-host to boot it up too. <laughs> So you finished Octopath Traveler 2, beat the entire game, including the hard, hard boss. While we were in Germany, you were working on it and didn't quite finish it. I want. I had this. <laughs> I had this stupid thing where I was like, I want to finish Octopath Traveler while traveling, which I was mostly able to do. But I just it took so many attempts to to get through the super boss. But you know what? I did it, and I never did that in Octopath Traveler one. So I'm glad I did it this time. I also noticed that I there's apparently a few side quests that I left undone, but I don't care. Overall, impressions are really outstanding. Everything game. that everyone said about, like, it's more Octopath Traveler but better or were spot on. Yep. Um, it solves a lot of issues that I have with one. Not all of them, but the fact that, like, I always thought it was kind of interesting that you have, like, eight unique stories and it's kind of, like, short story, mm. like, story style storytelling. But then, like, Octopath Traveler 1 does this really ham-fisted thing at the end where they're trying to bring everyone's stories together and show how they're all connected. But the characters still don't actually, like, really talk to each other. Or their story... Like, the characters will have random dialogue together, mm-hmm. but they very rarely comment on one another's, like, actual stories or have genuine interactions with each other. Um... Two really solves this by having like a a big final chapter where everyone's involved. And that was really nice. Even if it's not like that the whole game, I really appreciated that there were bits and pieces here and there where the the travelers, the eight travelers feel like they're actually in a party together. They're actually doing these things as a group. I felt like I was more convinced towards the end as you were playing and I was watching that they felt more cohesive together towards the end and they had sort of worked it in a way that you felt like, oh, these people met up coincidentally and traveled together. Yeah. But in those interactions where you pick up a new party member, it's like, oh, it's hey, super contrived. I'm traveling. Are you also traveling? Hey, let's travel together. It's like, yeah. I, I don't think in real life if you bumped into someone and knocked him down in the street and be like, oh, let me help you up do you want to travel the world with me that's not it is not likely (laughs) agnia is like one of the craziest ones because you just show up to her to her village right 
She's like, I'm going to go travel the world and be a famous dancer. Yeah. And she lives in this this little, like, farm town in the woods, right? A bunch of strangers show up, and her sister is like, hey, y'all, y'all travelers, take my sister with you. Yeah, please get her out of here. <laughs> and then that's and then that's that. That the decision is made. Yep. That's that's the whole that's the whole impetus to them traveling together. So Particio best boy though. He's the best. I love I him. was I was prepared to like everything about him, I heard his theme, I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> I saw his character art, I'm like, why does he exist? Yeah. Why does he look like this? I hate his stupid hat. Like Who's this Inspector I Gadget? Heard, <laughs> I even heard his voice and his accent for the first time. And I'm like, oh boy, this little hokey, hokey dude, let's make a deal. How to partner. And then like by about a third of the way through his chapter one, I was like, oh, this dude's precious. Oh, he's, oh, he's, he's the best. Yeah. He's so endeared. Like, they endear him so much to you through his actions and the way that he interacts with the people in the other stories. Because his actions are realizing that the proper end goal of of capitalism is socialism. Yeah. (laughs) He is the most Bernie. (laughs) Like, literally, dude is like, yeah, no, I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna work out some deals. And I'm going to, like, I have a good sense for business, but I'm going to use that knowledge to create the greatest amount of wealth for the greatest number of people, rather than hoarding it. Yeah. And it's like, oh, we, oh, wow. Particio for president. Yeah. (laughs) Woo. (laughs) Straight up. So you finished that and then immediately picked up. I'm not going to talk about it yet. Another game. I'm not going to talk about it yet. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Because I know who's listening, and the moment I say it, they're going to want to talk about it. Okay. Well, he's playing another game now. I'm playing another game now. Other than Dokapon. And Disco Elysium. And Disco Elysium. And Tape to Tape. Okay. The hockey roguelike. Have you talked about it? No. But I mean, it's If a, you care, it's fun. It's a hockey roguelike. I like it. It's a nice, it's a nice game to play while I'm not doing anything else. All right. Well, speaking of uh, gamers having... Like, really negative reactions to things (laughs) that weren't exactly what they expected or weren't as good as they wanted it to be. Let's talk about Dark Dark Souls 2. Oh. Right, so to remember half of what... I've played this game, like, one and a half times and didn't remember anything that happened in it. (laughs) You've played it through now once, but it's... Some of the stuff that you went through was, in fact, you know, six months ago. In fact, I can I can actually figure out exactly how much time it's been by looking at the VODs. And the first one is dated... August. August 28th, 2022. We're so approaching a year since I started. Almost it. a year. So it took and like nine months to get through the whole thing. I did not. I did not know it was that long. I thought we started in, like, December or something. So I was really feeling the the vibes of DS1 and wanted to keep going. And Mm -hmm. then I will equate it to a similar experience I had transitioning between the Arlen trilogy. (laughs) Bless you. 
<laughs> of the Atelier series to the Dusk trilogy mm-hmm. of the uh, Atelier series. And you just lose some momentum. And it wasn't mechanics for the Dusk trilogy that made me mad. It was the company's insistence on omitting the Japanese voices from the pack and made it literally unbearable to play because they were really grating to me. And I also made some bad decisions early on in the game about my build and about where I went and how I, you know, crafted things. And that made it much more difficult for me to continue the game when I got to the end. And then I spent how long? (laughs) I dropped it and then I came back to it. I mean, there was a, there were two different instances. One where we dropped it for like a month. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, we dropped it for a month while we were in Korea. Yeah. So that was like five or six weeks between sessions. Oh, you and know about in, Shally And then independent of that, there was another period of time where we just dropped it and didn't play for like two months. But the weird part about it is they they realize their error when they released the second game in that trilogy and included the Japanese voices. And I played through Eskin and Logi and just one one shot it. So I, you had a problem with Dark Souls voice acting? No, it's outstanding. <laughs> it I, is, I'm it just is saying actually the, really good. The experience is similar to me where I finished a, a game series that I really, really enjoyed and I had expectations built into that yeah going into ds2 and even though we had people who were like oh it's different you know you were even telling me there are things about it that are different um and many people say it's their least favorite you know blah 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 all these different things i had those and and i hit some walls early on in my build Mm -hmm. that i didn't hit and i kind of went with the same build because it's comfortable to me and it didn't work as well because of the way that things had been changed yeah and I feel like Very, that sort of dragged me down a bit. But I really just don't find there are very few. And it's been a long time, as we've noted, almost a year since I started uh, playing it. But there aren't many things that we did that are memorable to me. I can still go back and think about things that I did in DS1 where I'm like, oh, my God, that was so impactful the way that that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, specific boss fights. um, Going to an area for the first time, you know, the first time you die and what that feels like, it didn't have that same kind of resonate. It didn't resonate with me in the same way. Some of it is just that it is Dark Souls 2. So a lot of it is like the first time you do something in a Dark Souls game, you can't get that feeling back. Mm. Dark Souls 2 is not going to give you first time Dark Souls feelings the way that one does. But some of it also is like, hey, Drink Lake's ca- Drink Lake Castle is cool. It ain't Arolando. No. But but again, it's more than that. For me, DS1 was so well constructed mm-hmm. and thought out and planned in every single engagement that you had. Playing on your expectations, knowing after a while to check around a corner before yep. going there. Like, they build all that up in you. And I feel like... In DS2, they really just were like, you know what's coming, so we have to just do more of the same thing. There is... More horde bosses. You take a lot of time, um, and this is a this is a very particular design choice. 
Uh, this gets talked about a lot. One of the coolest things that you do in Dark Souls 1 is just explore. Mm-hmm. You just walk around and you're like, what's down here? And you're you're getting kind of anxious because you've gone a long way and you don't know how long it's been since you were at a bonfire and you're not even sure you'll be able to get back here. And you're like, all right, what's down here? And you open a door and on the other side of this door is a familiar environment. And you're like, wait, what? Well, how did I get back yeah, here? Yeah, I've been here. Oh, this is this is that door. I remember seeing that door. It said it didn't open from this side. Yeah. And then you like the map is so ingeniously interconnected and you have to learn it and get to know it and become intimate with it because you don't have fast travel until about two thirds of the way through the game. But fast travel, like it feels like having fast travel available from the start is great. But what it does is it makes you it makes all of the areas unfamiliar feel less. I mean, all of the areas are less connected. Some of them physically cannot be accessed from other places. They're just like, you know, yeah. you take a warp away to like Lost Bastille doesn't really connect to anything. Um, I, I think like it, it connects to other things, but you can't like walk from Forest to Fallen Giants to Lost Bastille. I don't think. I think, too, just the... Was it Majula? Mm-hmm. Going, having to go back to talk to her, to upgrade your Estus flask, to change, you know, do all the weapon stuff, to not just being level able to, up. Not just being able to do those things at a menu at any bonfire? Yes. That yeah. is really tiring, and it just pads the runtime a little bit. Bearer, seek, seek, lest. Yes. And... All of the stuff that they did with the Firekeeper Souls in one really added to the story. Like where you found those people, mm-hmm. you know, and where you found those souls really felt special. And it made you interested in why the Firekeeper Soul exists in the first place. Mm-hmm. And you Especially get- because in, in that first area, it, down the little slope a little bit, that first person is there in the prison, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, you spend the whole game thinking about that situation. And in this one, it's just like, I found this shard somewhere. And I got to take it back to her. And she's like, okay, you're more sips or yeah. more strength or whatever. It is definitely a choice to start you off with one drink of Estus instead of five. I do think that it ultimately balances the game a little bit better. Having you go from, like, one to two to three to four instead of five to ten to fifteen to twenty. Um, but it also, like, really makes some of those early areas more punishing than they need to be. And it wasn't even about the, like, I don't feel like the, that is certainly challenging, but it's, you know, just like any other game, you have to sort of reevaluate how you approach going into an engagement with an enemy. But in this case, you know, even the enemy types, we were talking about this earlier, the, the enemy types don't. They don't stick with me. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to think about some of the ones that I really, you know, that well, <laughs> obviously the pursuer. Let's scroll through. It's like one of the only things that I really found to be a annoying, but also kind of hilarious. Because just to refresh our memories, I, I brought up a, a window of like the different bosses in Dark Souls 2, most of which you fought, some of which you didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did the the. um 
Ivory King DLC, not the other two. There's Iron yeah. King and I think Sunken King. Um, but I just want to like this uh, Fextra Life page lists 32 bosses in Dark Souls 2, right? I want you to take note of how many of them are large humanoid with weapon. Last giant. Not technically human, but large, you know, two arms, two legs has weapon. Large humanoid with weapon. The pursuer. Large humanoid with weapon. Executioner's chariot? Not. But I also didn't fight it. You didn't fight it. It's literally a chariot. It's in like a, it's in like a circular room. It's kind of silly. Uh, Looking Glass Knight, basically large humanoid with weapon. I mean, it's cool that it's like two-sided, but still. Skeleton Lords, a bunch of humanoids with weapons. Flexile Sentry, large... Oh, wait, that's what I thought Looking Glass Knight was. Looking Glass Knight is actually just large humanoid with weapon. Flexile Sentry is like Different. two, two duct-taped humanoids with weapons. <laughs> right. Uh, Lost Sinner, I think, also... Um, I think also technically humanoid, although like more magic based, uh, Belfry gargoyles, technically gargoyles, but functionally the way that they attack and the way that yeah, they, the, yeah. two arms, two legs, they have wings, but big weapon, right? Ruin sentinels, large humanoids with weapon, Royal rat vanguard. That was a different thing, but also no one likes it. No. Um, yeah, Royal Rat Authority, similar deal. Scorpionus Noctia, different. Kind of poison Quelag, but still different. Duke's Dear Freya, also different, but also just multi-legged spider bug thing. Oh yeah, Mitha, Baneful Queen, technically a snake lady. So, you know... I'll give that leeway of not being just a humanoid enemy. Um, yeah, the rotten, which eh. despite being a big mass of flesh, effectively, yeah, still just a big thing with a big weapon. Old Dragon Slayer, humanoid with big with with weapon. Covetous Demon, Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> yeah. So that's different. Smelter, Smelter Demon. Demon also has some other stuff going on, but basically big thing with big weapon. He's kind of bullshit. He's soup. There's a lot of there's a lot of <laughs> bullshit. It does feel like they wanted to ramp up the the level of difficulty in Dark Souls 2 and did so in almost all of the wrong ways. Like they just made everything more bullshit and less fun. And you know what? And maybe it's because I got a weapon and didn't really mess around with any other weapons because I did see whips and things like that come yeah. through. Yeah. But I wasn't really interested in any of the weapons and I really just hate the boss weapon system. It's really bad in one. It's slightly better in two. It actually moves up to pretty good in three. Well, then we'll see. Eventually, we'll get to that point. Uh, for starters, you can do more stuff with boss weapons in three. Like some boss weapon can be made into like other equipment, into like I think like helmets and and stuff like that too. Um, Old Iron King, basically like a big Diablo demon, but still, it's just a big thing waist deep in lava who thrashes at you with his arms, right? 
But still, we'll say that's different. Dragon. You didn't actually fight uh, Guardian Dragon. No. Guardian Dragon gave you... Uh... <laughs> I was like, oh, he's just sitting there. Yeah, well, he gave you the... He gave... So you don't remember this because this happened over the course of several months. And yeah. then we started going into DLC. And then by the time we came out of DLC, it had been like a long time. But you got to him. You remember that area where there were a bunch of those big, um, those big knights that are kind of like the ones that you see at uh, Tower of Flame? Mm-hmm. And they all like give you like a fair duel. And you never did it, but I told you if you try to run by them without, like, they don't aggro on you. But if you try to run by them without fighting, then they all, like... Go after you. Then they all go after you, because it's like, Same no, thing it's... With the dragons, It's right? like an honor system thing. Mm -hmm. So that was what you had to go through to get to Guardian Dragon. And then when you get there, Guardian Dragon is like, here, take the, um... Take this... Oh, God, I don't even remember what he would... Like, some kind of soul thing, like a... a and that's, that is the item that allows you to go into those memories, mm -hmm. the, the giant's memories, and get the, the soul of a giant mm -hmm. that you need to get to the ending. Um, but then there's, like, more you can do to actually fight it as a, as a boss to get a more complete ending. Demon of Song was, like, the frog thing with a weird sunken skull face. So that's that was genuinely unique. Um... I don't even remember if you fought Velsad. I feel like you must have. Large knight wielding a giant bell hammer. Yeah, that sounds right. Big dude with big weapon. Vendrick, again, could have fought him, didn't. Big dude with big weapon. Dark Lurker, optional boss, didn't do that. Don't remember him well enough to know if he's a big dude with a big weapon. Dragon Rider, big dude with big weapon. Twin Dragon Riders, two big dudes with big weapons. Crawling Magus and Congregation. Uh, you did this. It was in the it was in the little church. Mm -hmm. It didn't even feel like a boss. No. It was just like some regular magic dude and a few other guys. Giant Lord, you fought him in the uh, in the memory. Mm -hmm. Effectively, big dude with big weapon. Ancient Ancient Dragon, we didn't do Throne Watcher and Throne Defender. That was towards that was getting towards the end end game. In Dringley Castle. Big dudes with big weapons. Nishandra, final, final boss. Skeleton warrior, but, you know. And then there's Aldia, which is, again, we didn't get true ending for Scholar of the First Sin. Because it had taken us so long just to get to that point that we kind of just wanted to move on. Yeah. But you see what I'm saying? Like... There's not a whole lot of variety in the bosses. And of the ones that are there, none of them make the kind of none of them make the kind of impact that you'd get from say like like Gaping Dragon. Now granted, you when you fought Gaping Dragon, that was your first time <laughs> trying out uh, a summon. Yeah. And it made Gaping Dragon much, much easier. Because I think you summoned Solaire. Mm -hmm. um, so you didn't really have a whole lot of time to, like, get a good look at Gaping Dragon. But that opening cutscene where you see, like, the big open rib cage kind of climb up over the over yeah. the edge of that, like, waterfall. Like, that is an unforgettable boss design. 
Well, and I feel like the set pieces in one, even for the bosses that aren't really memorable, mm-hmm. because it took me less time to beat them. Like, sure. was the butterfly one on the... Moonlit on the, Butterfly, moon, yeah. That was visually impressive, mm-hmm. but it didn't take me long to beat it. I no, think you I, one-shot it. So, but I still remember that interaction because of the way that boss presented itself and how the corridor thing was a really big deal in one. Mm-hmm. And in this game, I feel like it was big open space. Horde battles were really common. Yep. You know, except for Rat Boss, which was closed space. Really inconvenient. Yeah. But I mean, like most of like, even the, even the DLC bosses, like the, the Ivory King that I did mm-hmm. and Ava. Or Ava or whatever. Ava, yeah. Those were both in very open spaces. And it really takes away from... Even though some of those battles in one that are in closed quarters, it really frustrated me. They really challenged me to think about how to use the environment to my advantage. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it's like, oh, you either have to just dodge, roll, or get behind, or, you know, whatever. It was less about the environment, more about the boss design and in that case it would have made sense if they made the bosses more interesting but in this case they were all kind of similar i will say you mentioned dodging yeah um because you were such a you know you rocked havel armor and were basically a poise monster yeah through most of the first game and could really tank a lot and swing through a lot and in large part, Dark Souls 2 did not... I'm sure there's a build where you can be a poise monster, but, you know, it didn't come together the same way for I us. Just didn't, I never felt like I had... And maybe it's because of... Your build never felt finished. complete. Yeah. yeah. But also, I felt like I got more armor and more weapons more frequently mm-hmm. in one and maybe it's because i had some luck charm or something equipped that got me good drops because once i got that good sword i was like oh man I'm, I'm all set here and i got that full armor set too from farming in that space when i was just trying to level up a little bit and that was a really good set and in this one i got like that early set that i ended up and i just used it the whole game and i didn't yeah. really have and i feel like that's a miss too because i'm not engaging with the armor and the crafting systems that are in place even though, you know, there should be, in my view, ways that the game challenges you to... And this is really common with Metroidvanias, where mm. they give you a weapon or a skill that is specifically used in a specific place. Yeah. And they expect for you to learn how to use that weapon. But in Dark Souls, you get the weapons and you choose your build based on those weapons and you're kind of walled into that until yeah. you get the consumable that allows you to respec to right, try something right. different. But by that point, you've already put all those consumable items into upgrading those weapons. And so you have to start all over again if you respec and want to try a strength build or you yeah. want to try a magic build. It's way too late for that if you're already 65% into the game. If you're doing a standard just like get through the game playthrough... It doesn't make any sense to be like, oh, wow, I found this really cool thing and my stats are terrible for it, but I want to use it. But it requires 45 strength and I have 12. Right. But like the whip, for example, once I got that first whip, I was like, oh, is a whip in the game? I'm kind of interested in that, but my build is completely whack and it won't work with this. Yeah. Um, 
But I feel like in one, I felt more compelled to try, even though I kind of leaned into swords specifically, I felt more compelled to try different types of swords and combinations mm -hmm. than I did here. And Part maybe that that's probably why my experience was so negative is because I didn't really explore that. But I felt a bit walled at times in the way that I was specced. Part of it also is, again, like you cannot... Uh, you can't underestimate the degree to which, like, your previous game experience affects your future game experience, so to speak. Like, you can't play Dark Souls 1 for the first time again. Your experience in 2 is affected by 1. And what I saw you doing is going after a... Going after a build in 2 that was similar to the one that worked really well for you in 1. And... You know, in some cases, in some ways that worked, but it, I do the same thing. I basically do sword and shield. I also generally forget that two-handing weapons exists because I like to have a shield. shield there for panic. I'm not accurate enough to feel comfortable enough to go without a well, shield and do two-handing. You also, because you were so heavily armored and because your poise was so monstrous in one, like you were able to go through most of that game without really getting a good sense of dodging. Now, that was I, found my, I found myself very impressed considering how little you dodge and how well you were able to time your dodges when it came time to do it. But like a lot of bosses you had a ton of trouble with because your, your standard gameplay style in one was block counter, block counter. Right. And you get like enough, you have enough poise and enough stamina to be able to do that. And there's, you know, there's generally enough time after a swing where like, even though you lose a few frames while you're in knockback from taking the blow on your shield, there's still enough time to get an attack in. Right. And if you, if, you know, you do, you did good poise damage as well. So if you could actually like knock them back with your first hit, you could usually just block and then just go to town on them until they until they fall. Um, that in many ways was not the case here. Um, there were a lot of enemies where like blocking didn't give you enough time to counter. So you'd either trade or you just get hit when you try to swing. And there were a lot of enemies where hitting them once or twice wasn't enough to stagger them. Yeah. Which partly has to do with you using a dex weapon. Like, if you're going to, like, I think that in general, being big and heavy and immovable mm -hmm. is a build that generally lends itself more to having a big, heavy weapon. It's really funny. After playing one and two, I started to think about the way that I played Monster Hunter. Oh, yeah. And because Monster Hunter is so, Monster Hunter World specifically was the one mm -hmm. that I played a bunch of hours. Yeah. Uh, and I went with the Switch Axe, mm -hmm. which is a medium speed weapon. I wouldn't say it's slow necessarily, but it's a bit more calculated. It's slower than what I was using. It, it's Well, I mean, yeah. But I think about it now and I'm like, I if I went back and played that again, I would not use that weapon because I, I understand now the reason that I never really quite got good at using it. And it's because it requires a bit more accuracy and less, like more confidence in swinging to actually hit. It's less, it requires less than the big hammer and things like sure, that. Sure, yeah. Which is why I never really went into those heavy strength weapons in this game is because they're very slow. 
and I'm not the most accurate swinger. And I panic swing, which is why I go with a dex weapon, because it allows me to get three or four slices in, and at least one of those is going to hit, most likely. Yeah, but what you're not thinking about is that what you, like, when you have a big weapon, that gives you more margin for error, <laughs> because your swing is gigantic. It's far and it's wide. And if you if you so much as tap something, they're probably gonna they're yeah, probably gonna stagger back from weirdly, it. Weirdly, when I used the hammer in Monster Hunter, I tried it out a little bit, just because, you know, why not try it out? See sure. what it feels comfortable. Yeah. I would swing and miss more often than I would hit. And I was like, oh, this is bowl. I don't, I don't well, think yeah, it is. But your hammer, like the hammer in Monster Hunter, you're like swinging down. So you have to have the thing right in front of you. A horizontal swing with like one of those great swords covers half the screen. I mean, sure. I feel like, though, if I went back and played Monster Hunter now, I'd be so much better at it. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Because I played Dark Souls and because they're similar. The, the yeah, the, the skills are transferable. The, the way that you have to fight the big bosses in mm -hmm. in Monster Hunter is very similar to the way that you have to approach playing most enemies because it's not Pick a... Pick your spots when you hit, get right. out of the way. It's a learn patterns yep. and react kind mm -hmm. of game. And I think when I played it, it's just like mash, 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 mash. And unlike Dark Souls, Monster Hunter bosses are actually tuned for multiplayer. Right. Yeah. I really enjoyed playing that. I, I think it was a good game when it came out, and I still look back on it fondly. Even though we kind of got kind of got bored with it because of the looters type game. Yeah, we like. what we did is we went through the main story of it, or what most Monster Hunter players would like refer to as the, the tutorial, er, yeah, the, the basic early game stuff. And then once we got into the bit where it's like, okay, now it's time to start hunting this enemy but in different colors over and over and over and over and over to again get the special drops until you to make can, the armor yeah, until you, you can make the armor that makes you look like this. And I was like, I, so it's not really, really different. Like he's just going to have like more health or like more time restrictions or like, he's not going to really be that. Di I don't want to do that. I think that's one of the charms of this series too, is there is multiplayer to it, but it's not, it's not destiny or, oh, you know, any of those other games that you... What was that chivalry type game we played for a bit? For Honor. For Honor. It's not like that where they expect you to constantly put in everyday hours. Mm -hmm. Like an uh, online service game. Yeah, it's not a, li yeah, it's not it's a not live, live service. It's not a live service game. Um, looter, shooter thing. Looter anything. And it's heavily story focused. And I, I feel like... That's what made me... <laughs> I would say it's heavily story-focused. I mean... What was the story? It is story-focused if you want to get it's invested true. in it. And Destiny was similar. But once I beat the story, I was like, okay, we're done. And they're like, no, but what about all these little lore nuggets? And I'm like, I don't care about that. Why don't you show me that in, in, uh, in yeah. the beginning of the game? And no, I don't want to try to get a scout rifle that has all of these rolls on it when I've just gotten 17 engrams and I take them back to the tower and I have to turn them in to get a specific roll. No, I don't want to do that because I want to know. And I play Destiny a lot, like probably more than, me. more than just about anything. And I went through a period where we played that and we played Diablo. Actually, now <laughs> I'm looking over here. There's a stream up on Fexter Life of someone playing Diablo 4. Fun fact, that's probably what Tom is doing right now instead <laughs> of recording this podcast. It's fine, Tom. We don't judge you for it. Absolutely not. Have fun. Um, we played a lot of Diablo, 
But after a certain point, if you can't... I would not say we played a lot of Diablo. We played some. We dabbled in it for like five to ten hours. But when the game is completely built on drops... like a- Ask Tom how much Diablo is a lot of Diablo, because <laughs> the answer is in thousands. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're not really that way with any game, although you put in 160 hours or so into the Octopath. That's about... And I put in I... that many hours into Beat Saber, <laughs> which doesn't have a story actually. at all. I think you're like 160. It's not I don't as... think it's that you're high. Not... I think is it's this... like 130. Are you installed on this game or just your laptop? 131. Okay. Less than I thought. Less than it felt like. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean... Yeah, overall, I think the most memorable fights in this game to me... Uh, that stupid gargle falling off the the map. Again, having an enemy that just decides life is too hard and I'm just going to quit. Yep. It was funny. Um, the Ivory King was a pain in my butt. And I probably spent more time on that than any other boss in the game, maybe next to the, the tiger. It was more time. It was more than the tiger. Yeah, it was so much time. I, I edited the video. The episode... Uh... And then I had to come back to it and spent more time and then beat it on the, what, second or third try. Let me, let me see here. With all of the uh, people. This video is three hours of fighting. Burnt Ivory King without winning. Okay. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time on Ivory King and I ended up hating and that, it. And that hate, was... hate loving it, I guess I should say. I, I enjoy the idea of that fight. Yeah. But it was not... Pleasant. None of the horde when, bosses were pleasant to me. I don't enjoy that. My brain has a hard time breaking away when there's multiple enemies. I have a hard time because I'm a slasher, and when I get in a panic because I'm afraid of what's going to happen, I just swing rapidly at whatever. And this made it really hard for me because I had to focus on seven or eight different enemies. And then I also got really far on him after the one of the first times I summoned. Yep. And I had a bullshit hit that knocked me out, and I was so angry. I was so mad, and we clipped that. You had him down to, like, his last 10 or 15%, and he one-shot you with something. Well, he teleported me. I wasn't anywhere near him, and the, the weapon grabbed me. Mm-hmm. His sword grabbed me, and I was like, okay, what? This is not fair. And I'd like to tell you that, like, hitbox and teleporting into, into like, grab attacks like that will get better. Um, every game has a couple of things that are a no, little like that. it's fine. So, it I, sucks. But it that sucks. was, that right there was, like completely wiping the wind out of your sails. You feel like you're making progress. You feel like you're getting close. And he was like one hit away from death or something like that. And I was- This is the one. This is the one. This is the one. What just happened? I think I had a similar situation with Arturius on the first time I fight him. You did almost one shot Arturius and then it ended up taking you an hour. Yeah. It's like, so- But see, that fight's fun. Yes. That fight's outstanding. And I honestly felt that when you ended up fighting the Burnt Ivory King by himself, it was engaging. He Mm -hmm. was quick. He had pretty predictable um, motions and movements. But when you have other dudes that are around and the fact that you can't... It falls apart. You you have to kill all those dudes in the first phase every time just to get to him. And there was no stopgap in between there where you had a chance to like heal up or reposition yourself. It just, it made it really hard for me. And there were times when I, and I tried, I'd say 70% of the fighting in that three hour loop of not winning was me not using the summons. 
and trying to do it on my own because it felt more doable that way. And as soon as you get the summons, there's more dudes and more chaos. Um, But I did call all three of them and that was how I ended up beating it. And I don't feel bad about that. You shouldn't. I would have felt better about it if they disappeared after the first phase and then I got to fight him one-on-one. I would have felt much more... I would have had more euphoria after beating him you if know that what was a, the way that it was structured. A better version of this is Horde Arena, where the four guys, the four ivory knights that you free help out with these other, with these charred knights. And you have this Horde Arena. Mm-hmm. You clear that. This seals up the spawners. Bonfire. Burnt Ivory King. I think that's... And I would even be fine, like I said, if it wasn't, what, five or six portals? How many portals were there? Three four. on each? Four? four? Yeah. There's there's one on each okay. corner. I would have been I mean, fine not technically if, corner if it's circled, it was but. two portals. Or even three without with that one. Actually, it might have been. Th- I think there's four positions, but one of them's broken. Because mm. you bring four dudes into the fight, and three of them basically sacrifice themselves to... To seal up the portal, and you can bring one into the last phase. Mm. Well, anyway, I I had some strong feelings about that fight. I felt like Ava was really challenging for me because it was a lot of dodging and enemies that are quick. That and visibility is really bad. It, it, I didn't. I just didn't enjoy that. But it's memorable because I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> I feel like that's it's kind been... of the problem with this. Is like a lot of the most memorable bosses that you fought in this were the ones you didn't like yeah whereas like off the top of your head what are the most what are the most memorable fights that you did in one hmm well definitely ornstein and smo mm-hmm. and definitely obviously with the dlc boss with arturius mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, what's the guy on the Taurus the Tauros demon on the yeah, bridge on the, the bridge. first time that you fight him that's really memorable because it's like holy shit I'm, I, this is scary yeah then you got the whole jump down too where you can attack from above which yeah. is really cool and you know I could go on there's a whole bunch of them in this game but what I'm getting at is like did you enjoy those fights yeah they're memorable because you actually were like really exhilarated to do them and they were they were exciting. I would argue that like even Gwen is kind of is memorable just because like it builds up to a really good moment. You've got the music and and his design is really cool. Um, as a fight, it kind of sucks just because it's easy more than anything. But like it's still a cool fight. Yeah. I don't know. I, th- I feel yeah, I just... Gaping Dragon is cool. Again, I don't think you have feel super like those strong are, feelings. Those are set pieces too. Yeah. The set pieces are so impactful when you get to those spaces. Specifically, gaping dragon, iron golem. Iron. Well, <laughs> my fight with iron golem was kind of bull. Anyway, I mean, iron golem is jank as hell, but it's cool. The bell tower um, gargoyles. Yep. Those were really cool because you're on top of that whole space and you could see all the places that you've been. Mm-hmm. And those set pieces really make those fights memorable, even though I hated that fight. But the fact that you could cut their tails off, like all of this stuff that goes along with that. And then the fact that that's the first enemy that I fought that was two at a time. Yeah. Like in a boss sense. The fir- yeah, the first boss. And it just, I don't know. I 
I don't say, I wouldn't say that I dis- disliked DS2. I would say that one left such a strong feeling with me. I had different expectations for yeah. it. And I feel like most people would arrive to the same conclusion. It's more Dark Souls. It's different Dark Souls, but it's more Dark Souls. If you like Dark Souls, you will play it and you will be like, it's Dark Souls. Yeah. But it doesn't It's not even Dark you... Souls at home. Like, it is Dark Souls. It is. But it's, the, the it's ad- just very clear that they moved Miyazaki off of this one to be like a supervisor. Yeah. And, le- and had other people do this one. I think even the places that I hate, like Blighttown is more memorable than not Blighttown at home. Like Blighttown at home. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember what the gutter, I think it's called. Like with all the, the wood and then. The, yeah. Yeah. No. Where there's no visibility and there's torches. Yeah. Because it's like I kept going up and down the same freaking ladder like 700 times. And you were like, you just went there. I'm yep. like, yeah, I know. I, I Where am I? Yep. But make talking about this makes me want to play 3. Mm-hmm. Because I know a lot of people love 3. But it also makes me want to go back and play 1 again. Honestly, that's the experience a lot of people had. So I mean, there are people that you'll talk to who still say that one is the best. But I now three, you'll notice a lot of upgrades immediately because three is the first one that was actually built for next generation hardware, which is now last generation hardware. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. But like demons and dark and dark two were all made for like the PS3 360 and dark two. DS2 ended up right on that cusp where when they did the Scholar of the First Sin re-release, that one ended up on PS4 and Xbox One. But the majority of the work went in. Yeah, but it's anything that's like between generations is like, okay, well, it's made. The game at its core is made to run on older hardware. Mm -hmm. So there's only so much they can do to upscale it. Whereas three from the ground up is built to work on on that hardware. I think I obviously have my festival coming up next month and a bunch of travel, but I, I would like to do three, but maybe not until the fall. And in the short term, I'd love for you to play Elden Ring. Yeah, I, I'm i waiting for a sale. <laughs> you hear that? From Soft, put it on sale, please. It was on sale for like 33% off, and I was like, should I get it? It was like back in February yeah. or something like that. I was thinking about it. I feel like it might, if it goes to like 50% off on like the, like the Steam Summer Sale or mm-hmm. something like that, I'm on it. Yeah. Like 50% is my magic number. If it gets to 50, then it's no question. If it gets to like 33, then I'll consider it. But there's a part of me also, it's like, well, I've waited this long without playing it. Maybe I should just wait till the DLC comes out and get it as a bundle. That's true. But after I, after I've had some time away from this and, you know. I had, I still had fun. I didn't have the same like, oh man, oh man, I want to play Dark Souls right now. Which I think vibe. is part of the reason why we took so much time away from it is because we left a lot of our sessions in kind of like ruts. Yeah, frustrated. And bit. it was difficult to pick it back up from that rut because like either you didn't know what you were supposed to be doing or you did and neither of us wanted to go through it. Well, but in, in one... There were times where I, you had to be like, hey, you need to stop. We need to. Yeah. It's midnight or 1 a.m. You, you we gave to, yourself migraines. Yeah. Well, only a couple times. Oh, a couple of times, though. <laughs> but, yeah, I enjoy it. I, I, 
I don't enjoy it as much as one. It's a if you had played this one first, then you'd probably have like you'd probably have a better opinion of it overall. But that's not the way it works. This one is a step down from its predecessor in most people's opinion. I do think it has some redeeming qualities. Um, if you happen to be going through on a punch build, it's great because there's just there are certain things that work better. Mm hmm than others and it's you know it's worth noting also that you've not really messed with any sort of magic or i mean pyromancy i guess yeah but, but like but no magic builds yeah magic or like no intelligence or faith builds at all so that that honestly i'm not judging you on that i don't know how any of those things work in souls games either like i've i've no clue how because that's that's not the game that I'm playing. What I'm essentially playing when I play Dark Souls is like a, a a modern version of like an old rage game challenge 3D platformer. <laughs> like I'm playing like a Ninja Gaiden, right? Yeah. Where it's like, all I want to do here is like just stand on the right part of the platform and slash them where they can't slash me. Ninja Gaiden's a bad example because there's all a bunch of sub weapons that I don't use. I also don't use... Also, you don't use sub-weapons in Sekiro. Yeah. That'll be an interesting game for me. I think the mobility in that will be a challenge for me because... I th I actually maintain, and I've said this from the start, Sekiro is a faster game, but part of the reason I think that people struggle with it as much as they do is because they are used to dodging. Mm-hmm. In Dark Souls, like they're countering. taking they're taking the the dodge roll mentality into Sekiro, which it gets you killed. As soon as I learned that the thing that you're supposed to do in Sekiro is stand still and block, mm -hmm. it became amazing. It clicked and it, it became my favorite game at like that moment. Well, but you like a parry and a, you know, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see I, I think... Because your style is like blocking counter more often than not, that is kind of the primary intended style in Sekiro. You also don't have to worry about which weapon you're using. There's the weapon. So you can really focus in on just Mechanics, making sure that yeah. you you max you get the most out of this one set of mechanics. Now, that's not entirely true because you have the sub weapons and you have, you know, other stuff where you can kind of blend these other secondary moves into your into your set <clears throat> but generally like i have a great time going through just block and hit block and hit block and hit and i think that that agrees more with your dark souls play style. um yeah. play style than it does with most people's dark souls play style which is more mobile and more dodge and roll based so i think whenever it is that we do play it i think you'll have a good time with it obviously it depends on how fast i get through DS3. And then Bloodborne also exists. <laughs> it is time for dinner. <laughs> we'll see you all next time. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't think that all picked up on audio, but there was a grumbly. <laughs> you said there were dinner and they're like... Yeah, well, it's 6.30. The children would also like dinner. Right. We'll see you all next time. Bye for now. <laughs> Bye.